Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran, my guest this week, Scarlett Curtis, probably one of, if not the most I've ever enjoyed recording a podcast. Scarlett Curtis, for those who don't know, what have you been doing with your life? She is the curator of the Sunday Times bestseller and National Book Award winning Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies and the book It's Not Okay to Feel Blue and Other Lies, published by Penguin. She's also the daughter of Richard Curtis, who made Love Actually. She's actually in Love Actually. She was the second lobster. We have an amazing chat here about mental health, well-being, her experience of anxiety and depression, how she differentiates the two. We talk about the commoditization of self-care, society, cultural stigmas, so many things. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to her and I learned a lot from Scarlett and she just articulates things in such a brilliant way. So I hope you find it as good as I did and as helpful and as reassuring if you're someone who's struggling right now. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel blue. Carla Curtis, it is such an honour to have you as a guest on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. It is genuinely my favourite topic to talk about. <laughs> you can tell that you're so open and honest and it really seems to be like quite a radical thing on social media. And it's I think it's so needed. Yeah, it's so needed. And I think, you know, it, it's helped me. Like, I have no idea if it's helped anyone else, but it's helped me so much just kind of overcoming the shame that I felt about so much of this because there's there still is so much shame around it you know we're making huge amounts of progress but yeah it's a tricky topic and I think when you're open about it it's the best thing I ever did for my own mental health basically 
it really, for me, helped to take away the shame. And like, you just want someone else to say, oh yeah, me too. I feel that too. And I think that's so important. But the flip side of that, unbeknownst to yourself, is that you've probably, and definitely with your books and everything, helped hundreds of thousands of people to normalize their experience of anxiety. Because you're right, the stigma is still, we've come a long way, like you said, but it's still there. There's still a lot of shame around feeling like you're not okay. And I think for people after COVID as well, I think it's really kind of spiked. People maybe had never felt it before. And suddenly they're in this situation where their threat response is like constantly activated. And they're like, what is this? And this is not okay. And I need to not feel this way. So now there's a lot more people who need to come to terms with the fact that they're human and they're vulnerable. Yeah, completely. And I think something else that's been really hard about COVID and um, this post whatever COVID phase that we're in, even though it's not over, um, is that everyone's going through it. And so I think it's been very hard for people to ask for help, even if even if that was something you were already comfortable doing. It's been very hard to ask for help from family or friends or community because you know that we're all going through some version of this. Me and my friends used to always say, like, only one of us can be down at once yeah. so that we can all help. And um, I think the toughest thing about the last few years is that we've we've all kind of been down all the time or, you know, a lot of the time. So take me back to the beginning for you. Has anxiety always been a feature of your life? I think looking back, it has, but only in kind of small ways. When I was a kid, I was very like clingy to my mum and um you know got very nervous going to school for the first time but it was it was never that bad um and then when I was 14 I got really really sick um I had an operation that went wrong so I was in chronic pain and couldn't walk and was sort of misdiagnosed for almost three years and I had to drop out of school and I lost all my friends and I experienced a lot of medical abuse and a lot of kind of just just very horrible things you know at that prime age when everything seems to matter more than anything else like it's so funny I I talk to my therapist and I'm like how am I not over this yet it's been 12 years and she's like because the things that happen at that age stick with you you know in a way that other times of your life don't really it was astonishing to learn that like our prefrontal cortex isn't fully in function mode until we're 25. Like, so that's a lot of years of things having a really large impact on you if they go south, if they don't work out. Totally. And it's actually been really interesting for me with the pandemic because I feel I had a kind of parallel experience 10 years ago where I was incredibly isolated, very sick and a lot of pain. Um, But I always... I think when you're sick, especially when you're a kid, there's always this thing of like, stay strong, stay positive. So I was always like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm positive, I'm positive. And I started a knitting blog because knitting was the only thing I could do from my bed. And, you know, I started writing and I was out of school, but I became very obsessive about reading and kind of what we've all been doing the pandemic. But then when I, so I had another operation finally when I was 17 and I, um, the pain went away. And it was, you know, everything I've been wanting for the last three years. And I had a complete breakdown. Like I started to have panic attacks. I started to have incredibly bad PTSD and depression. Um, And then I couldn't leave the house again for about another two years because every time I stepped out my front door, I had a panic attack. 
the depression would just sort of engulf me and uh, I couldn't speak, I couldn't move. Um, and so the last, you know, that, that the really bad period, I think ended when I was like 19, but I'd say the last seven years, I do still struggle with anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD, lots of labels. Um, and it's just been really figuring out how to manage that, how to not put pressure on myself, but slowly like reintegrate into the real world, which is so weird because it's what everyone's going through now. So I feel like it's, I've, I'm like, I've been through this and it's, it's really hard. <laughs> It's a lot of heavy stuff to deal with. Going back to the second surgery, have you since gotten clarity on why you felt like you did after that when you had gotten, I guess, the physical results that you had hoped to achieve? I think it was just that thing of like, I'd been holding on for three years. Like I'd been fighting so hard, you know, against the pain, against all these physical things. I was in a wheelchair. I was constantly being told that like, my mindset was a part of my illness. You know, I was told for a long time that I was like making up my illness. And I was told that I was, you know, all this horrible stuff. And so I think there was this real pressure on me not to show weakness, not to show that I was finding this hard. Like it was just a physical problem and I was fine. And I think once that ended, it was just this release. And it was just this, like, I'd been holding on for so long. And suddenly all these mental health things that had I'd been pushing down for so long just exploded. Um, and I also think I'd been isolated for so long. And I, I hadn't really sort of, I guess, clocked how, and this is why I have I keep saying to people like we need to take it slow we need to be gentle on ourselves during now because I had not like hung out with a group of people I hadn't been to a restaurant I hadn't done all these things in so long and so the overwhelm was just like more than I could handle it makes complete sense I mean when you describe it like that of course, that's how your body and your your mind reacted. Your body had your back. I guess a certain amount of adrenaline kept you going. And then it's like when we stop for Christmas break and everyone gets sick. Yes. <laughs> Whatever is unprocessed just swoops in and says, you have to deal with me now. Yeah. It sounds like so much of your suffering could really have been avoided were it not for like this culture of toxic positivity. Do you believe that? Oh, yeah. I mean, completely. And I think it's a real, real issue around physical illness in particular because you know we we hear all these stories which are brilliant of you know people going through horrific physical times and and they were so strong that they survived right and like they we've got all this language like you fought this illness and you didn't give in to it and and you you know stayed strong and she stayed positive and and, you know, they were smiling the whole way through. And I remember like, you know, I would read all these things about people who like did the marathon, even though they'd like lost the leg or something. And it's like, who can be the strongest sick person? Who can be the best? And, and you know, I before I got sick, I was at this, you know, very um, high pressured all girls school. And I have I definitely have like, you know, I, I have OCD and I definitely have like a perfectionist mindset. And and so I think I 
I got really into that and and no one wants you to just you know I remember adults would come and everyone was also so scared to talk to me they didn't really want to like bring up what was going on and and I was like well I have nothing else going on so then I have nothing to talk about um and no one everyone's so terrified of illness like I think as a culture we are so scared of physical illness of any kind able-bodied people you know are so terrified of anything happening and and if you said I remember if I said to anyone like actually it's just really crap and I'm really unhappy and my back hurts all the time and I want to cry all the time like their face would just go white as a sheet and they wouldn't know how to respond so instead I had to say like I'm good I'm fighting you know I've and and people come to you with these stories as well like I remember there was this one where it was like this girl who had been out of school and she used the time she was sick to read the entire works of Shakespeare <laughs> and I just remember that sticking in my head and every time I was like watching Grey's Anatomy or you know playing a video game I was like why am I not reading the entire works of Shakespeare um and yeah I I think I think we um you know the, the mental health conversation is so nuanced and I think it's it's really tough because a lot of it a lot of it has a lot of this speaking out about mental health has begun with kind of white privileged people like myself because it's much easier for us to speak out and there are so many crevices and cracks of this conversation that we really don't talk about and I think mental health and disability is a huge one um mental health and illness and yeah I think you know I, I made this book um it's not okay to feel blue and other lies. And, and the point of that was just to show how this kind of paradox where mental health can affect everyone, but it doesn't affect everyone necessarily in the same ways. Um, and we need to be having like many conversations, which your podcast does so well. Oh, thank you. I think there's one thing to, as an individual to learn to be more understanding of your own mental health, just your health in general and mm. kind to yourself and have compassion. But we're all so uncomfortable with other people's discomfort and that it's that, yeah. that feeds into the stigma that then feeds back into you having to make that person feel comfortable, even though you're the one not feeling good. It's a collective issue, I think, that we have to address. It really is. And if only you were able to say, yeah, like it feels crap. And it's not about being negative. It's not negative or positive. It's just authentic. It's just being how you are as you are when you, yeah. when you feel it. And it doesn't have to be colored one way or the other. The toxic positivity is is such a real thing. And I think it's such a good phrase. Like yeah. social media has come up with some bad phrases, but it's such a good one because it is. And the thing that I think I learned from all that time is two things. If you know someone's going through something hard, talk to them about it. Like they will tell you if they don't want to talk about it. But we definitely, especially in England, we have this, or in the UK, we have this culture of like, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to remind her of it. And it's like, mm, yeah, I'm in pain 24 hours a day. And I, I don't think you're going to remind me of it. Like, I think I'm already thinking about it. So you can bring it up. Let them know it's okay for them to talk about it. Um, and then the second thing was, if someone says to you, like, I'm feeling really terrible and this is going on, as, as it's so tempting to go, well, at least, you know, at least you look great or at least you've got 
this or it will get better but I just now say like I am so sorry you're going through that and that's really shit and like you don't deserve it you don't deserve it and I'm really sorry and I would actually find when I was sick if someone said to me you know oh but things are going to be better soon or you seem better I would go really negative I would be like well no they're actually not and everything's terrible and you know blah blah whereas if someone said to me like that sounds so terrible I'm so sorry I'd be like yeah it is but you know at least I've got my family and I've just read this great book and like let's talk like it actually it helps you then focus on the positive because you know the negative's been acknowledged I think it's so important to always make space for the negative because then when you do feel positive after it's not like you're shoving it down your throat you can actually consider the positive side of things from a perspective of well at least I've given some oxygen to how I really feel can I ask you a question because I'm really interested in this just from your podcast and it's something I've like struggled with for a long time but but (laughs) with the kind of mental health conversation and especially like solutions to mental health Mm -hmm. I find sometimes that can become a pressure in itself like I remember when I was first um you know when I I ended up going to a a, like depression treatment center for a long time which I was very privileged to be able to do and then when I came out of that and there were I would wake up and write this sort of insane to-do list of things I needed to do you know find a therapist meditate for half an hour a day exercise make sure I get my sunshine make sure I have a conversation with someone eat well drink lots of water stand on your head for (laughs) 30 minutes like that you just you can be so bombarded with these things that we're supposed to be doing to help our mental health and I have definitely gone through phases of my life where like I was doing too much and it would that in itself was becoming a problem you know yeah I was doing acupuncture I was trying to meditate I was you know obsessively drinking water and eating healthily and doing all this and and waking up at this time and going to sleep at this time and not being on my phone at this time and and it actually in the end meant I was sort of thinking about my mental health like 24 7 yeah um and you you know you speak to so many people who have different solutions how do you kind of manage knowing all of those solutions and finding what works for you I always take solutions with a pinch of salt I think for me the biggest solution of all has been to just like the title just to own it and accept the presence of anxiety in a human being's life and to roll with it and I think I remember being so desperate for the cure or the fix all. Mm. And I think so many people arrive at that point and like, I get so many DMs being like, what's the one thing I can do for social anxiety or what's the one thing I can do for this? First of all, I'm not the expert. I just try to like bridge the gap between experts and people who need help. But for me, it's always just about knowledge. And I think understanding the mechanisms of anxiety. Like I'm so interested in the brain and everything you were describing there, like to me just makes so much sense. And that knowledge alone, plus 
the bit of self-compassion, that's like my biggest combination to dissolve anxiety plus medication. So like I'm still on medication for anxiety. I've been on it for a few years and I've done episodes on that as well. And I think there's a lot of stigma around that, but I, I think I'm someone who really needed help medically to get to a sense of even kill where things like going for a walk and yoga and stuff would benefit me. I feel like this, the commoditization of self-care has become such an issue that like what was meant as the antidote has become part of the problem. A hundred percent. Like it's become the pressure. And I think it's so important to say to people like, find what works for you. Don't just follow what works you know because you get these people who like and I really get it like I'm, I'm not judging anyone but it's like they've found what works for you and then they're telling you that it's the absolute be all end all fix and um the way that I kind of have split it up in my head is like there's two levels for me of of looking after my mental health there are the things that keep me on an even keel and like when I'm feeling good I know that they are gonna probably extend how long I feel good for so Mm -hmm. that's things like exercise yoga that might not work for you your things might be meditation and spending time alone whatever it is um and then I have what me and my mum call state of emergency which is when the depression hits or the anxiety hits and in that case suddenly exercise makes things worse you know because I'm exercising and it's making me more panicked and it's making me more stressed. And to be totally honest, and like, I find this really hard to talk about because it's not something you'd put in like a lovely infographic post, (laughs) you know, whatever. But when I'm in that place and I have, you know, been going through this for a decade now, the things that help is I cancel my plans. I get into bed. I play a game on my phone and I watch something on TV and I do that until the depression passes and it's not, you know, meditating. It's not like having a lovely bath with bath salts. See, you have to remember that there is a capitalism element to it though. Like the bath salts and everything, it's all to sell products. So we've lost the self element of self-care, I think. Yes. Like you, when I feel bad, I clear my diary and I will get into bed and I will watch, like I'm obsessed with Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah, me too. Both of us now obviously have enough awareness that we're not going to be like, well, I better subscribe to someone else's idea of self-care or the public perception of what self-care could be. And it's for me, it's such a slippery slope because then the self-care becomes another tool to measure yourself worth against. I want to just say, because I was in that place where like I truly felt like I was failing at fixing my depression you know and and that is something you should never I also want to say whether I'm on medication and I see a therapist once a week which I'm so lucky to have found a medication and found a therapist that works for me and those are the two like real baseline things like I think a lot of this self-care stuff doesn't include medication and it's like I, I, I wouldn't be here without medication but you know I think like especially my mom is always dreaming that there is going to be this like secret fix that's just gonna cure me and I think another huge thing for me was realizing that I'm gonna live with these things for my whole life like they'll they'll come and go and hopefully like as I get older you know I'll find even more tools and even more things that that will mean it's it's even more manageable but like I'm never gonna find a fix my mum will always buy me a vitamin supplement that she's found and she's like this might fix it and I'm like 
I love you so much but this is the way my brain works and like I can manage it but I I'm not I I've really it's taken me a long time but I'm finally in a place where like I can ignore some of that sort of screaming pressure that like you're not doing the right thing to fix your mental health I think we're also we're having a real moment of that with screen time you know like get off your phone before bed and don't use your phone in the morning and and I'm just like that I don't do that like I do not monitor my screen time like I I just can't and that would add an extra pressure and I would be judging myself on my screen time and I don't need any more sticks to beat myself with you know For me, the biggest learning, especially in the last few years, has been the science of self-compassion. And I did an episode with Dr. Kristen Neff, who is the first person to have conceptually defined it in like a very Mm. clear way. We think we're being self-motivating by saying, oh, just come on, get up out of bed and just get on when it feel better. We're doing the opposite. We're making ourselves feel worse. We're like scolding a child. So the one question I say to myself when I start to feel a bit overwhelmed is like, what do I need right now? I don't care what you think I need. What do I need? Sometimes that is getting in a bath. Sometimes it's watching crappy TV. Sometimes it's putting on comfy PJs. It doesn't have to be what you think it should look like. And and how can I support myself in this moment? And and how can I comfort myself? That self-compassion has really brought me to a point where anxiety is something that I can so swiftly move through as and when it comes. And that's the thing, it does come because life is stressful and things happen. Mm. And I think I've got a kind of tendency towards anxiety as well. But I think the biggest solution is ironically getting to a point of acceptance of where you are. Yeah. I mean, you've you've hit the nail on the head. That is, I think of everything I've ever done, self-compassion is the one thing that's helped me, that's helped me manage this more than anything. I also think, you know, a lot of my um, diagnoses, uh, you know, people have different thoughts about diagnoses and I think in, in some ways they can help and whatever. But, but you know, I, I do struggle with OCD and that means that, like, I, I am at risk for getting very obsessive about these things. And um, I had a friend, I've got a friend who's got a sort of similar form of OCD to me and he was looking into sleep trackers and... I sort of sat down with him and I was like, look, this will become another thing, another stick you use to beat yourself with, another way that you measure yourself, another thing you can fail at. And I, you know, that's one of the things I I like know I have to avoid because I, you know, I think I sleep fine. I don't know. I used to have really bad insomnia. I still take sleeping pills quite a lot of the time. Like I've figured out a way that works for me, but it's just, it's just sometimes not all these things need to be monitored and tracked and perfected. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I think my experience has been mostly anxiety. And then I think as a result of that being so bad, sometimes I have felt depressed or I was diagnosed as depressed. How do you differentiate between the two? Like what does an anxious day feel like versus a depressed day or do they ever come together? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. So I actually think it's um not talked about that much. And I think a lot of, I started noticing a lot of the um more general like public conversation we were having around mental health was more about anxiety. Um, I definitely have like anxiety most days, you know, and, and some days it's just like little nerves. I have a real issue with um the moment of opening the door and stepping out of my house. It's so weird, but like once I'm literally out the door, I'm fine. But sometimes I'll stand by the door for like five or 10 minutes, just like that thing of opening the door makes me quite anxious. And, and then it will sometimes be really bad and I'll have panic attacks. But with the depression, I think, and I think this is important. Um, I have depressive episodes. So what that means is, you know, at the moment, I think I have, it's more around like once or twice a year. And um, for me, they normally start at night and things will just start to get really bad. And then when I'm in them, the closest thing, I, I've never even like really used drugs, but it's a bit like being completely high or completely my brain is not my brain. Like it, it, I can't think, I can't speak everything. Every single thing that I think of goes dark. Like, you know, I'll look at a flower and think about death. I'll look at like my, it's just incredibly, incredibly dark. I can't really move. I can't shower. Like it, it just gets very, very dark. And it's very different from anxiety um and it took me quite a long time to kind of figure out the difference between them because often with anxiety like I can push through it but with the depressive episodes there kind of just isn't much I can do like and um you know I've I've had it diagnosed as chronic depression with depressive episodes and and all I can really do is as I said sit in bed watch some crappy tv and I have found for me that the main solution is is to really just distract myself as much as I can, because anytime I'm thinking it's very, very dark and it can lead me down a very, very dark path. So, you know, I play on my Nintendo Switch. I play Candy Crush. I watch a TV show. I, you know, um, make sure that I'm getting food and water and staying alive and when you're in it it feels like it is never gonna go away like sometimes the last time I had it 
I would think about the person I was like a few days earlier when I wasn't in it and it would feel like a stranger. Like I remember looking at pictures in my phone being like, who is that? Like I'm, I'm, I could never have been that person. And the idea of uh, being out of it is impossible. You're like, I am never going to not feel this way. And for me, what happens is after hopefully a few days, sometimes a few weeks, like I think the longest I've had is maybe six weeks, which was horrific, but only happened once. But it just starts to lift. And when it lifts, it is black and white. Like it's the that's kind of an incredible feeling. It's like suddenly someone turns the lights on. Um, and th- they're really, really hard. And it's been really hard for me to accept that that's a part of my life because, you know, I am a control freak and there's just nothing I can do to control that. And there must be a lot of anxiety anticipating if one is going to come along. Oh, completely. And um, and coming out of them is really hard because it's almost like being a newborn baby, like getting back into the world, you know. There's not really like an upside or like a nice little button that I can put on the end of it. But interestingly, as you were saying about self-compassion, the biggest thing that has helped me with them is to know that it's a part of my diagnosis, it's a part of my brain, but also they always end. That's something I have to say to myself again and again. I'm like, they always end. They always end. I learned eventually, and I could only learn this in time after experiencing it for quite a long time, was just knowing, okay, how you feel right now is not how you're going to feel in the future. So just allow yourself to feel it now and trust that it will lift. Oh, hell, hell yes. And also I, I almost call it being, being possessed and I get possessed by the anxiety and I get possessed by the depression. And it's really funny, like norm, the last time I had one of these, I, I moved back in with my parents because you know, they could help me like get food and stuff. And my mum would come in and she'd be like, do you want to talk? And I would have to say like, no, because anything we talk about, the possessed depression demon will come out. And I've been in this situation before where I start saying things that I know I don't believe, you know, and I know aren't true, but any path that I go down of thought or speak is going to be bad. So the way I've had to do it, and it's a lot of compartmentalizing, um, is just literally ignoring those thoughts. And I see it sometimes with my friends where like, I know that they're in an anxious place and they'll start to sort of ask questions or try and go down a rabbit hole. And I'm just like, you have to ignore these thoughts because you are not going to think those things in tomorrow or the next day or whenever this ends. And the more you indulge those thoughts in that moment, at least for me, the worse it's going to get, you know, because I start saying things like, you know, I have no talent. I'm terrible at my job. I, I need to quit it. And then someone says, no, you're not. You're great. And I go, you're lying. It's, it's like being possessed. I literally used to describe it like paranormal activity. That's how I imagined mm. like anxiety when I felt like I just had so little control but part of that lack of control was a lack of awareness and understanding for me and the education piece for me has been the most confidence building I feel equipped because I can understand what's going on it doesn't mean that they don't come I know what's going to make me feel maybe not better but more comfortable in the moment and they're the life rafts that we cling to they're the things that you don't see on social media that really do make the difference yeah totally and I've just had to learn you know I've learned what intrusive thoughts feel like I've learned how to ignore them I've learned it just I think it just takes time like everyone's 
mental illness is different and it's just exactly as you said learning experiencing it knowing you know for me there's not a ton I can do to make it better but there's a lot I can do not to make it worse. How has it been navigating these experiences being in the public eye having grown up with your father and Hollywood and everything like what's your thoughts on that? No I mean I think one thing is like I don't I don't really think of myself as in the public eye, even though I know that I kind of am. But I think I feel very lucky to have quite a good relationship with that side of things. And I'm like, you know, I I started sharing, you know, I started blogging when I was 15. So I was always like a person of the Internet. And then I started sharing about my mental health when I was like 19, just because it was actually, you know, I was so ashamed of it and I wasn't really talking to anyone in my real life about it and I was like well maybe the one way to get over this shame is is to talk about it online um and I love that I love like being able to share things and and knowing that other people feel the same way and and every time I do it it feels like I'm extinguishing this little fire of shame inside me you know but I do also I never feel pressure to post I never feel like I owe anyone anything you know I've taken big breaks before um I think something that I'm sure you have I I found it you know I grew up in an incredible incredibly privileged position and um one part of that is like you know my dad is a man called Richard Curtis he makes some very lovely films but they're very happy films and my family is very luckily like a very happy family and they're all very positive and and I think for a long time I really felt like I was this like dark cloud in our house you know like I was the 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 one person in in my community that was going through all these problems and for some reason couldn't handle life and and couldn't be happy when everyone else could and and you know that 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 everyone else was kind of that I was failing in that way and and um I think that that's been quite hard and has taken a lot of like in a funny way and and I think they'd agree like me educating my parents on how and and I think often that's what you have to do when you're someone going through mental illness is like unfortunately you have to slightly be the one to educate the people in your life on how to deal with you when you're in that state and when you're in that situation the anxiety of what other people that matter to you think about you or if they think oh she just needs to have a cup of tea and just shake it off and get on with it that just like compounds it more so you're absolutely right like there's a lot of work on pressure on the individual to then educate those around her I hope that the people in your life were as receptive as the people in mine to understanding okay it's not just that you're in a bad mood or it's not just that you just you're a bit of a worrier yeah you don't want to feel this way or think this way but you do and it's not pleasant do you feel like you have a good relationship there with your family yeah I mean now it's been it's it's not been easy like it's definitely been tough both on my side and their side you know I think for a long time and this is really dark and like you know but I think a lot of people feel this way but I felt like if I wasn't here you'd all be so much happier you know I was like looking at at my like lovely happy cheery family and just 
I was up in bed crying and <laughs> unable to get out of bed. And I was like, God, I'm the bad thing. And and realizing that's not the case, obviously, has has been huge. And then, yeah, just really sort of helping my parents understand, you know, and sometimes it is and and this feels weird, but sometimes it is literally breaking it down for them and saying like, okay, when I'm going through a depressive episode, I need you to not propose solutions. I need you to not tell me to just get out of bed and have a walk and do this. Like, this is what I need you to do. And I am so lucky and grateful that they have now really, really responded to that and really get it. And I think, I think it's helped them understand themselves a bit more. And, and, you know, my, I've got three younger brothers and, and two of them are quite a lot younger than me and have grew up with me like being very physically sick or, or mentally ill and like my brother's joke I was just their sister crying and screaming in the bedroom with the closed door <laughs> but they now understand it more than anyone and like my my little brother Spike who's like my favorite human in the world will like you know he'll come in and he'll say like is today a sad day I'm like yeah and he's like do you want to talk or do you want to hug or do you just want me to sit here and I'm like yeah that would be really nice and and they they really get it and they can also like kind of make fun of it which is also good because I think so often like this stuff can feel so like heavy and weighted and and they sometimes just think I'm like hilarious for all my all my different like needs and and madnesses and and that has helped me so much like to just be able to see it as part of my life and part of our family instead of this stain on our family you know those beliefs that we build from a young age can really determine a lot a lot of our experience in adulthood and I don't doubt that your family see you as anything other than such a bright spark in their life and look at all the wonderful work you've done to normalize mental health for people like I just had to stop in my tracks when I saw the billboard for the Christmas one and how much pressure people feel at that time of year and oh my god you've done so much work maybe even unbeknownst to yourself to make people more accepting of where they're at and it's really generous of you to share as much as you share. I do want to say one thing about that billboard so with the book that we did about mental health we put up this billboard that said um it's okay if it's not the happiest time of year around Christmas and I did feel like that was a bit of me like making up for the sins of my father because my dad (laughs) my dad made love actually which is a wonderful film and I do love it but I do think it puts a lot of pressure on people to like feel happy at Christmas and um I've had a lot of very sad Christmases where I was like well, I'm definitely not in love actually right now. You were in love actually as well, weren't you? I was actually in love actually. I was the second lobster. You can, not the main lobster. I was the second lobster, but you can see me. I think I was like eight years old. I would love to just wrap up by asking you if you could go back in time, having the awareness that you have now and the understanding that you have now, what would you say to yourself in maybe your experience of your first panic attack? We've sort of talked about this, but I would say, Firstly, you're not alone and a lot of other people are going through this because I think when I first started going through this, I truly thought I had like invented anxiety. Like I just didn't know anyone else had ever felt this way. Um, I would say you're going to get better. So don't put pressure on yourself to get better. And it's okay if you're not feeling better. I think 
I when especially when I was going through like the period of real intense bad mental health I would always be trying to say like it's getting better you know and and I, I'm I'm feeling better and and it's fine and the reality was I wasn't and I wish I had just um let myself be in that place and like you said had the self-compassion done the things that that helped you know stayed in bed like instead of constantly trying to push through it and and pretend that things were getting better when they really weren't it's so important I hope at least in your mind's eye you can go back in time and give yourself a little hug and apply some retrospective self-compassion but Scarlett thank you so much for sharing with me today I can't wait to share this with my listeners I know it will help them feel less alone I've loved chatting to you I feel like we could have hours and hours of podcast I know truly I could talk to you forever thank you so much what you do is so important I have loved this thank you that means the world The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.